Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to What Load of Cobblers, the debrief, discussing Northampton Town Nil, Doncaster Rovers 2. I'm Tom Reid and today I'm joined by local democracy reporter James Averill and Wallach regular Martin Maloney and in a bit by Liam Hoden, Donny Rovers writer for the Sheffield Star. How you doing guys, you alright? Good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, uh, all, all good, not such a great day yesterday but um, hey-ho. <laughs> yeah, hey-ho, we'll get on to that in a second I guess. Um, James, disappointing result yesterday. Um, we, there are sort of, sort of hopes that maybe things have turned the corner a little bit with the, the previous win v Fleetwood, but just coming in out of it with the, the, res- the poor result and the sending off, it was just disappointing, wasn't it? Well, it was a disapp- disappointing result in the end, yes. Uh, I think we were the better side in the early stages of the game. Uh, and I, I thought it, it was looking like it could be a, a bit of a promising afternoon. And then, yeah, that, that red card just sucked the life out of the whole occasion, really, didn't it, from a, from a cobbler's perspective. Uh, but to be honest, even after the red card, we had about, you know, 10, 15 minutes spell where I still thought we were, you know, giving a good account of ourselves. And then we let the goal in. And then, as we've said on quite a few of these podcasts uh, earlier in the season, as soon as that first goal went in, you kind of just got the sense that that, that was it. Um, and we, we didn't really at that stage look like stage it in any form of comeback. I will say at least uh, at the end, we gave it a bit more of a go at the end um, in this game, I thought, than we have in previous games when we've been 1-0 down, let alone, you know, um, two. So I think there were still some promising signs there yesterday. But yeah, it, it was a bit of an anti-climax, I suppose, to to all the all the fans being back in the stadium. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've sort of read different critiques of the performance in that first 30 minutes. We, you know, before the sending off, um, we did we did sort of like make a, a fist of it, and we were trying to break them down and trying to contain them pretty well. But I still think it was a bit too much from for my own personal taste of a of a containing performance. And it was sort of something we've been talking about the the game we talked about a few weeks ago where. You know, we we went on the front foot and it, we we came off so positive out of it. We were all so positive and buzzing. It just feels like that slip slipping back a bit back to the containment tactics. Um, Martin, what do you make of yesterday? Uh, you know, the two 0 defeat back down, looking back towards the relegation zone. Are you, are you feeling positive about yesterday? Or um, it, it, def- it definitely felt like a like a setback. But I do think um, when we take take a step back and a, a kind of bit of perspective on where we've been. I mean, I remember coming on, I can't remember which game um, after, of 
which particular defeat, saying that my real worry was that we'd it wasn't just that the football wasn't particularly good and that we were getting beat, it was that the heads were down. And I thought yesterday it wasn't it wasn't a, a great performance at all. The sending off really sort of um sending off really I think you know, as as James says, we're, we're on the back foot. But I thought we had a decent decent enough go before that. And I thought probably the period just after the sending off was our best period of the game. I thought it felt like, you know, they, they were there was a little bit of belief there. And, you know, it was an error for the first goal, giving, giving the ball away, which, you know, you can't afford to do that when you're already up against it. But I think in the cold light of day, you know, a month, six weeks ago, we're getting beat like that. And it doesn't. You have to wonder where the, um, you know, where the wins are going to come from. As it is now, I think bad, bad day at the office. I'd probably a little bit questionable. I think the way way we set up, uh, perhaps three players too similar in the midfield, um, in terms of the areas that they want they want to play in, and that maybe might explain why I think my perception was that we were a bit better when it was a little less crowded in there. Um, but yeah, I think bad day at the office. Nothing, you know, nothing too much for me to to worry about. We're still beating the sides generally below us, losing the ones above us, um, and they kept going to the end. You know, there was there was good heart there. So yeah, bad day at the office. The stats are terrible. Some of the distribution of the back was abysmal, but nothing there that is that makes me feel that we're you know we've turned a corner back down again. Bad day at the office. Let's let's crack on from there. That's my positive outlook. <laughs> Fair as usual from you, Martin. It's all going to come out in the wash within the next month or so anyway. We've got some difficult games and they're thick and fast as well. So Lincoln will miss it and we'll be into January and then we'll sort of have a good understanding of where we are really. Um, James, the McWilliams sending off. I'm a big fan of McWilliams. Well, we all probably are. We always like a, a homegrown player. Do you think the sending off was justified? In the current game uh yeah i can see why that why that was given as a red card i think possibly 3 or 4 years ago that would have only been a booking but i think there's been a, a big crackdown in in decisions on that particularly i guess we're seeing more and more red cards from var for for decisions like that and i think that's filtering down to to our level as well so uh, i didn't think the ref had a good game if i'm honest i thought he was poor um, but I, I, yeah, I can, I can, I can totally understand why he gave that as a red, uh, a bit of inexperience, I think from, from Sean, he is that kind of player though. He likes to go into challenges, you know, full blooded, uh, it's a large part of his game. And I, I do think actually, if, if there hadn't been fans there, I question whether he'd have done that kind of challenge, actually. I, I, I don't know whether I'm not blaming the fans here, but I don't know whether <laughs> If, if it had been an empty stadium uh, and knowing you, you, you wouldn't kind of get, you know, you know, fans cheering you for, for, for winning the ball. Well, let's let's not forget if he'd won that ball uh, um, cleanly, he was through on goal. Um, so I think yeah. it was one that he thought was was worth the gamble. But unfortunately for him, it's it's just it's just not paid off for him. And, you know, I've spoken before about, you know, making sure referees make decisions and you only had to look at the reaction of the Doncaster players. They're all immediately round him as you would expect them to be. Um, and, and that will have helped kind of make the referees mind up really. Um, and again, our players were a bit slow to, to get round and try and make the referee 
think otherwise and it goes back to the point I've made a few few times that we we're still lacking that streetwise uh x factor I think that we had last year in terms of sticking up for ourselves trying to influence referees things like that again you know not particularly uh, parts of the game that you like to see but at the moment we're not doing them and other teams are and in 50 50 kind of decisions it can it can make a big difference i don't think yesterday's was a 50 50 decision i think he probably would have sent him off even if the doncaster players hadn't done that but they made you know they made 100 percent sure of it didn't they that they were around there and and trying to influence his decision so yeah, I can see what is a red card um, and just a little bit of inexperience from from Sean, particularly so early in the game, um, which did cost us uh, potentially getting a result. Yeah, in an ideal world, we want to see strong tackles as well because it's part of the game and it should, they shouldn't be eradicated completely. But I think the problem for him was that he was sort of isolated when he, he went in for the tackle. It wasn't in like a melee in the midfield where he could get get away with it. Maybe the referee was unsighted. You could, you could sort of telegraph it happening. It took him a long time. He had a little bit of time probably to draw out of the, the tackle, but he went through with it. And that left him pretty exposed to the subsequent red card. Um, mine for you, red card as well? I'm, I'm giving that a red every day of the week. Um, sat on my sofa watching. Um, it's, yeah, straight red. He's... He, to be fair, but we are, I'm a big fan of McWilliams, as we all are. He's had an absolute stinker yesterday. He, he, his touch was off all game, and he's probably frustrated with that. He's got, I think, as as, Jane, as James has said, as yourself said, he's got the time to pull out, to just stand up. You know, he's, he's lost the ball. He's lost it a few times already. The adrenaline gets to you you know I've not played sports at such a high level and you can't play it unless you're pretty hyped up but your football brain has got to take over and think right I've lost that just stand stand jockey and you know we get we get another goal I I would have seen him coming off at half time anyway um, because I don't you know I think probably the setup with the three midfielders we had wasn't looking particularly clever and he was just on a personal level. I thought was having a very poor game, but yeah, it's um, it's cost us. It's cost it's cost him. Um, you know, if we'd have just been playing badly with eleven men, we'd have been in a better state than having a little purple patch with ten. But you know, against a side that were probably well, most sides are going eleven are going to beat ten. So yeah, no no complaints here, and hopefully um, McWilliams learns from it. Sure. I, I, I wonder how much of it was, obviously it was, a, it was a silly decision and, you know, you probably should have thought better of it. But I just wonder how much of it is, because our game has been so much about containment in recent, well, the past two games, that that his, that sort of side of him, him comes out, he's G'd up to break the break the other team down to, to press him and get the ball off him. I, I'd, I'd much rather see Sean Williams in his more all-round game, so tackling, driving forward with the ball, and that's what he did against Burton really well. And it's, yeah, for me, I'm I'm not, you know, particularly happy watching this containment game. Um, let's move on to the first goal, goal for Doncaster. To, you know, I feel sorry for Keith Carroll to an extent because he he doesn't like these unforced errors to an extent. And uh, the first goal went in when I think it was Marshall was robbed of the ball and sort of pinged to uh, John Jules for Doncaster and he did a cute little chip over Arnold. Um, James, do you reckon Carroll will be upset with that one? Yeah, it was a needless goal to concede. 
uh, like a lot of goals we've conceded this year, I don't quite know, and I've been a big fan of Mark Marshall, as you know, but I don't quite yeah. know what he was trying to do. Um, I think trying to, it looked like he was trying to take him on or kind of knock it past him, but I think it was, you're in a dangerous area. And I think what we noticed, what I noticed with that goal was Alan Sheehan's um, absence in that I think it was pretty much Sam Hoskins was playing that kind of left-back role almost, wasn't he? And he was, you know, making a, a, you know, a run up the pitch, which left the space in behind for for the striker. And fair play to him, he stuck it away. Well, I thought it was a very kind of cute finish, but it was a poor goal to concede. Uh, and again, self-inflicted. And that's the frustrating thing at the moment. Teams aren't having to work particularly hard for their goals against us at the moment. And given the fact that, particularly at home, we're not scoring goals gifting the opposition goals is a recipe for disaster and we're doing it too frequently at the moment we're giving silly cheap goals away and you can talk about managers you can talk about formations and tactics till the cows come home if players make individual mistakes to the level that we're doing at the moment then it's going to cost you yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. It's yeah, it's one of those ones where you need everything to be tight in a game like that. When you've, you you're a man down, you just need to keep everything tight and see if you can just try and hold out a little bit. And then you give away needless goals like that. It's going to make it much more difficult for yourself. Um, let's move on to the second goal with you, Martin. It was a really good ball in, I thought, and uh, really inviting. And it caused us problems. Obviously, it was sort of deemed an own goal for a little bit, and then you know it looked like it had, had a nick off of a Doncaster player. Um, Martin, what did you think of that goal to concede? Do you reckon... I, I think Ricky Holmes should have probably got a little bit tighter to the, the crosser, but he's not fit, so maybe... Probably. Yeah, it's a bit like the um, the goal against Oxford, Oxford City. Um, your winger's probably got to stop it. He doesn't. Uh, it's the edge of the six-yard box. You'd kind of expect the keeper to come, but it, it was a peach of a cross, you know. But... You'd hope he, you'd hope the keeper takes charge there. You'd hope the centre, well, centre half to be fair doesn't let it go. He almost knocks it in, and their their player um, follows it up and puts it in. But yeah, just a, a kind of conflation of a bunch of things that any of them going our way probably means it's not a goal. But you know, when your luck's out, it's out. I have to say, just just on note with the first goal, the. Um, Goal scorer is the nephew of Danny John Jules, the guy who played Barrington in Maid Marion and Her Merry Men, or more famously Cat in Red Dwarf, which was which was noticeable when I saw. The I name. was going to ask that because I yes. recognise the surname Danny like John Jules, as in Danny John yes. Jules. Well, that's too far fetched. So that's true, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, it, and, and funnily enough, uh, at half time because um, Jenny's a Mackham, we we stuck we stick by uh, Radio Newcastle on. Um, have a listen to what's going on up there and um, when they were talking going through the scores they referred to Danny John Jewell scoring so yeah it's um, <laughs> it's a, an unusual enough surname that um, yes it, it was indeed and love I didn't think he was that impressive overall but I tell you what the one chance he had I was very very impressed with him with him taking it but yeah. isn't that ironic because Cobbler's um Defend like holograms as well. <laughs> There's probably a gag there, but it may need a bit more work. But yes, I think a fair point. But I do think I think um, James's point is is very apt, and 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 your own. It's when you're playing badly, 
uh, or play, not playing great, you kind of need you need to dig in and and do the ugly stuff. In a sense, you know, we're we're, we're not too, you know, sometimes under not a lot of pressure, we're happy to lump it forward. But my God, well, you know, when you know Sam Hoskins has made is playing left back and has made a run up field, and you're you're the back man, you go long, you go long, you do not try and take someone on the edge of your own box. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, disapp- disappointing. Yeah, it was. I think because we've made certain games in sort of keeping it tight, you know, in the previous game v Fleetwood, we managed to sort of hold out and stuff. It's just disappointing to see quite slack goals creeping back in. But right then, I'm pleased to be joined again by Liam Hoden of the Sheffield Star, Doncaster writer. Um, Liam, um, Doncaster must be pretty happy after that result yesterday. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think... Um... They prepared for a tough game, and and it looked like being like that in the first sort of fifteen minutes or so, um, and, until the sending off really, and and even after that, it was still a, still a pretty tough game. They still had to be patient and had to slog it out really, and uh, got the job done in the end. So I think they'll be pretty pleased with those uh, those three points. Yeah, I think that sending off obviously makes it really difficult. Um, I still think that you were sort of trying to boss possession a little bit more before the sending off and they'll be in- mm. interesting obviously to see what would have happened if it was 11 v 11 but um obviously mcwilliams red card was key um was it a clear red card for you i, th- I think so I, c- I can understand i've listened to what keith curls had to say about it and, and his annoyance at it and and watched it back too and it's not quite as heavy as some challenges like that that you see but I think if you go in like that, you are giving the referee a decision to make. And if he gives a foul, he's probably going to have to show a red card too. It's just, it's, that's where it's a little bit reckless from the player because you know that if if, if this tackle doesn't go right, you're probably going to be in big trouble. So I, I understand the sending off, but I can also understand annoyance that that's where the game is is now. But I suppose it is down to protect the players, really. Sure, that's a good summary. I just think that... With the situation we're in with COVID and everything, I just think that players maybe are probably warned a little bit by the referee. Just take it a little bit easy. Just be sensible. And Williams is a wholehearted player, and I don't think there's any malice in it. But he just, he just, he had quite a lot of time to think about what he was doing because it just seemed like in slow motion, and just ended up going through the player a bit as well. So you can understand, but Keith Cole's slight frustration, but. I can't really argue that it was a red card and it, it proved pivotal in the game. Um, in terms of the goals for Doncaster, um, good finish from John Jules for the first one, wasn't it? Good an- anticipation. It was a mistake from our end, obviously, but you harried us pretty well to get the goal. Yeah, yeah, uh, really, really good finish. He's got that touch of class. He's, he's very highly rated at, at Arsenal and uh, you can yeah. kind of see why. Just that ability to react quickly to a ball coming through to him that probably wasn't expecting and then that, that finish were uh, were lovely, really. Um, yeah, great goal, that one. We talked about before the game whether you had that little extra bit of bit of quality to unlock unlock us. We we started off setting our stall out just to con- contain the game. Obviously, McWilliams got sent off, so it gives you a little bit more space. But you always need that that little bit of quality. And I thought John Jules provided it with that little cute little finish. So that was yeah. a. Not, I can understand why Keith Cole was pulling his hair out though, because he hates those sort of mistakes. We lost yeah. possession necessarily, so. Yeah, Keith Kerr will be <laughs> showing that on video, no doubt, afterwards. <laughs> what about yeah. the second um, by a right? What do you make of that one? Uh, yeah, I, I thought um, Reese James out wide did really well to get a, get a cross in. Um, in. Initially, I thought it was an own goal. In fact, I, I wrote, I've had to amend it since I've seen the uh, 
since I've seen the replay of it, because it does clearly come off for Joe Wright. I thought it got turned in uh, just before. Uh, I think it was horsefall, but uh, I thought we were just ahead of him. I think he did get get a touch, and uh, and it gets um, gets put away. Yeah, de- decent bit of play out wide, getting across into the box. It's not something that they've done a great amount of sort of scoring from from that sort of close range or or looking to uh, to get the ball onto to somebody's head. So it were, it were nice to see that from a Doncaster perspective. Sure. It was probably a go- another goal that Keith Carl doesn't really want to concede. I was struggling a little bit for the final goal score. I was doing a bit of live tweeting and stuff. But, but yeah, if you, if you put it on slow-mo a little bit, you can see that yeah. White does get the final touch. Um, the penalty, a bit of a soft one from our perspective. and uh, But, you know, you didn't score in the end, so it wasn't too bad for us. But handball, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a strange one. Um, I, I couldn't tell. And even watching the replay, I can't quite tell whether... It is actually a handball or not. Um, James Coppinger did well, but, but uh, got an effort away on goal. Um, and yeah, it stopped. The, the weird thing was that the referee allowed play to continue and then pulled it back. Obviously, he's had a he's had a message from his assistant who, who didn't appear to to flag for it at the time. It all felt a bit like a VAR situation. Uh, and then uh, yeah, penalties given. Disappointing from uh, from Whiteman. He's got a very good record from uh, from the penalty spot, but I think he tried to stutter his run a bit uh, rather than doing what he usually does and putting a bit of power behind it. And um, a, a decent saving end still. Yeah, Arnold was a big old unit in goal, so he's yeah. probably yeah. good at saving penalties because he just fills the frame the frame of the goal up so much. Yeah. Um, sort of an overall summary. What did you make of Northampton's play overall? It's obviously difficult to judge, and we have to accept that. You know, they've got a player sent off, so it's going to make it, things very difficult for uh, for us. But I just felt to an extent that we were talking before the game about whether Cobblers were going to go for it or try and just you know contain Doncaster a little bit. And I think maybe that sending off might be partly due to the fact we were sort of chasing the game even fairly early on. We did okay at it, but I just yeah. think maybe you know maybe you were a bit more positive about the game. Yeah, I, 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 think, I, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I, I thought Northampton were doing a decent job of containing. They seem to have uh, Keith Curler seemed to have sent a couple out on on sort of man marking jobs, which a lot of teams have done. To be fair, on uh, Ben Whiteman in particular, but also Reese James, who was sitting in alongside Ben Whiteman, they both had really close attention whenever they, they got on the ball or they were looking to get on the ball. And as I said, with Whiteman, a lot of teams have done that. Sunderland actually put. Charlie White, the striker, on sort of Ben Whiteman duty. So that's just a reflection of what other teams are doing as well. Um, but I thought they were organised. They got plenty of men behind the ball, the, and and really it it was obviously a containing job, and obviously made even more put even more focus on that after the sending off. But I, I thought they were pretty decent, and there were danger even in that early stages of it. While it looked like Northampton were, were very deep, there were a couple of times when there were breaks out from from deep and Doncaster were put under pressure I thought Doncaster as well in terms of the game they went through a period where I think I don't think they'd gone ahead at that point when they were giving away needless free kicks and all all that were ringing through my mind were your sort of warnings about set pieces and and, and Northampton's danger from set pieces and I thought they were uh, shooting themselves in the foot a little bit there but from a from a Doncaster perspective and an interesting one towards towards Northampton as well the the lineup named by Darren Moore and, and the the setup, it, it kept the same formation, but he he put Joe Wright at 
right back who is a centre half. He's played at right back before, but that I think that were against Lincoln and that were done to combat sort of physicality and directness. So it, yeah. it did show a, a fair amount of respect from Darren Moore towards the threats that, that Northampton posed as well. It wasn't all about we're going to come, we think we're probably going to dominate the ball and we're going to look to do that. He also was worried about sort of what Northampton would do as well. And I, th- I thought Joe Wright had a decent game uh, out there. Sure, yeah, that's a, that's a fair, fair summary. Obviously, we have our threats in sort of different areas and, you know, Darren Moore set up a little bit to combat us too. Um, what was Darren Moore like after the, the final whistle? What was his sort of basic summary of what happened? I think he, he was really pleased with sort of Doncaster's professionalism and I think a lot of that were down to the way that they looked after the ball uh, and played it round sensibly and didn't take too many risks uh, in the main. I think that's that's the main thing. He just I think that's what you want to see from a from a team when the opposition go down to ten men, use the advantage that you've got and particularly Doncaster who craved the space to play. Um I think they did a decent job in that. So he, he were he were pleased with with how things went. Sure. And what about the overall day itself with having fans back? What was that a slightly surreal fans sort of trooping in with masks on and stuff? How did that go, do you think? Uh, I thought it was good. It, it, it's interesting because obviously I've been in a lot of stadiums over the last couple of months and, and there's not been anybody there. And I do admit that it, there were times when it felt a little bit uneasy. You know, you, you, you're used to staying away from people and, and people are perhaps in a bit closer quarters than what you maybe would have expected. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I, it, it were, it's going to take some getting used to. But yeah. then there were the other side of it where... The noise and you know the 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 team when the team went out for a warm up when the team when they came out uh, before the start of the game and just those bits of encouragement and and I think Northampton were powered by that in in a spell in the second half where the game seemed to be petering out but then Northampton had a bit of a rally and started putting a bit of pressure on and, and they were driven on by the supporters which would that have happened had supporters not been in I'm not entirely sure but. It made a massive difference, and we spoke to Andy Butler after the game, um, a veteran, 37-year-old, and he said it's been uh, horrendous without supporters. And even though he was getting a bit of abuse after the uh, after the sending off, uh, people thinking that he, he made a meal of it, which, to be honest, he probably admitted to us that he did. Um, the uh, he, he said he, he'd, he'd rather have that abuse than nothing. You know, it, it were it were brilliant to have supporters back in, and I think from that point of view very very good it's just going to take some getting used to again because of you've, you've been everybody's been conditioned over the last nine months to uh, to stay away from large groups of people um and but i thought overall i thought it were managed managed really really well from a from a northampton perspective uh, yeah that's good that's good to hear it's always a bit of a balancing act trying to get even though it's only a thousand people it's still probably more than like you said we're, we're used to sort of dealing with so it's good to hear from perspective that it went smoothly um do you reckon that's a springboard now for Doncaster a bit of a confidence booster to kick you on for going into the new year uh, yeah I'd like to think so they've had a tough period uh, which they've actually come out of pretty well uh, but it's been an intense period they've, they've got a week now uh, before the next game which which has been it's been ages since they've had that bit of a bit of a break and Darren Moore said that as much as he likes to work with them on the training ground and he is a meticulous manager he's going to give them a rest before the uh, the busy sort of Christmas period coming up but I think it answered a lot of that ability that they had just to stay patient and and but have a bit of purpose about themselves as well and 
and a bit of tempo about the play while they were trying to keep it away from from Northampton. That was good to see because that's kind of coming to doubt uh, on a couple of occasions recently. But I think there's a, there's a good chance they can kick on. They've got some games where the, you look at them and think that they're, they're pretty winnable, as difficult it is in uh, in League One. So hopefully they'll head into the new year in a in a decent position because they're not they're not in a bad position now. It's getting very very congested at that top end of League One. Definitely. I was quite impressed with Doncaster, although we've obviously sent the 11, but I just think you, you look after the ball well, you had about 71% possession, which is pretty strong. Um, got some skillful players, a bit of, bit of guile in there, you know, and also some, some skill move, you know, up, up, the, up top. So I think you'll be there or thereabouts. I'm, you know, it's hard to t- tell after one game, a couple of games that I've seen, but it wouldn't surprise me if you, if Doncaster end up around the playoffs, maybe slightly higher. But everything, everything is in place uh, for the Doncaster and the decent manager, some good skillful players. It just breeds positivity, I think, and you know, you should look forward to some good games going into Christmas and stuff. But thanks again for joining us, and um, all the you know best of luck for the rest of the season. No, thank you. Uh, anytime, anytime. After the game debate rage as it does I think because we're sort of in lockdown and everything that you know feelings are heightened and stuff and there was definitely a split between the the style of play and the people that say look we just got to accept whatever we can get this season um like personally for me like I can I can cope with the the what I call curl ball the, the style of play that curl plays because it was effective especially in league two and I can see sort of, sort of half a rationale behind it but I really don't like the what well, you know the containment game I've talked about in the last two games where we're almost we're sort of like sitting back, sitting back, and sitting back, trying to nick a goal, and you know the ex- expansive front foot, you know, in inverted commas football that Keith Curl talked about of trying to get into this season has gone out the window, and for me that is like the lack of intent is like it's terrible to watch, and I just don't think you know over a long season it will get us anywhere. Maybe for the last last third of the season when I were trying to cling or whatever. But this early on, I think it's a it's a dangerous game to be playing. Um, James, what do you think about that, the style v substance argument? Well, I think the style is is very clear, uh, what we've done under Keith. And it, it, like I said, it's very similar to when we were under A.D. Boothroyd, when we were under Ian Atkins, that the style becomes secondary if you're getting the results, if you're getting the wins. Um, once you start losing games and, and drawing games using that style, uh, people get fed up of it. Um, and I, I think certainly this season, there was a, a little little bit where I, I could see that we were trying to change the style. I think the first game I noticed it was Plymouth away. Um, well, we played some really good football and we were unlucky to lose that game, if we're honest. But I, even though we lost that game, I thought, you know what, I appreciate what he's trying to do here. He's trying to change the style. We played it on the, the, the deck and Sowerby was at the, the heart of kind of everything we were doing, you know, dictating play from, from the middle of the park. And then the results just didn't quite come off. And it was almost like Keith went, right, we need to get back to kind of back to basics doing what we're doing and he's managed to turn the results around in that it kind of stopped the result stopped the rut but it's kind of come at the cost i guess but it's kind of halted that 
journey like I felt we were going on in terms of adapting and evolving the style of play that just seems to have been abandoned and I, I think I, I, I don't know I, I might possibly be a, a, alone here um, I'd, I'd quite like to see what the end results could be in terms of you know trying that different more more football based style um but i guess from keith's perspective it is just about getting results and if he thinks he's going to get more results at the moment playing the similar style that, that we've played under him in the wild then i can understand why he's done that but obviously the flip side of that is that it's not one for for the football purists uh, now when it's been behind closed doors it's been a bit less of an issue Problem is now we've got fans going back, etc. And I think probably for this year, it's probably only going to be season ticket holders going, isn't there? And and I think you'll you'll have that whole factor that people just be grateful for being back at the football and enjoying the experience again. When we're kind of back with regular crowds, etc. and things like that, that style of of play coupled with defeats, I don't yeah. think will prove popular. So it, it's going to be down to Keith now as to kind of what I guess his priorities are is the priority purely just get us to you know one position above the the relegation zone this year and the style of play is the style of play and that's what's going to get us there or does he take a, a slight risk and try and adapt the style and kind of get back to changing it to a more pleasing on the eye style of football but you might potentially get more negative results in the long run so it's going to be interesting to see whether he sticks or twists on that front really yeah yeah that's, that's a good point I just I, I wonder where Keith's heart is really in terms of his style of play because he said he, he's willing to change it and he's going to look into change it I just get the feeling from his interviews and just his the way his team set up that he actually quite enjoys trying to nullify the opposition and that side of it but we've talked about the rot stopping we're only three points off the relegation zone and a very tough month ahead so we probably need to look at that I mean January and see if the rot's been stopped but yeah I just wonder this nullification game whether we're going to get any sort of you know head of steam together whether you know one win here and then you know a little dodgy patch after it and maybe it'll be good enough to uh, you know keep us up but like you say not just for the football purists I think it's people that pay to go and watch football is it what you know people actually want to go and watch it remains to be seen um Martin I've seen this thing on Twitter a lot and it's a lot quite a few fans frame it as they frame it would you rather finish bottom playing football or stay up playing the way we are now my quick point on that is, does it have to be that binary? So can we not stay up playing a little bit of football? But I'll put that question to you. Would you rather finish bottom playing football or stay up playing the way we are? There's a lot of people on the internet talk, talk out of their act. I don't, <laughs> I don't ever recall us finishing bottom and people saying, oh, this is great because we're trying to play football. It's all about, it's all about results. The football okay. will criticise the football when results aren't go aren't going well. If we're playing direct, you know, under Ian Atkins, un, under Booth Roy and it went well. We didn't criticize we criticised Booth Roy's man management for dropping Bayo, but we didn't we didn't criticise the football because it was get we were getting the job done. So yeah. I don't and you're right, it, it isn't binary, but ultimately there's a man in charge whose job it is to bring players to the football club and to get 
the right results out of them. And if he doesn't get enough of those results, you know, it is jobs on the line. And we've, we've talked before about the whole model of, you know, should we have a director of football and let the managers or head coaches come and go? You know, I think we're both we're both fans of that sort of thing. We establish a culture at the club. But for where we are, you know, Curly's a man. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in and validity in what in what James has said about there, there's definitely been an effort at stages and Plymouth, I think it did feel like a turning point of we, we were a little unlucky to lose and it felt like we were doing some different stuff. I think Sowerby's been a good a good addition but you have you know you have got to prioritize what am I going to do that that gets that gets results and if that means playing ugly then that's great I think my 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 criticism um would and I you know I kind of totally respect you know anyone's getting paid to manage a football team knows way more about football than than I do I think it felt if we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna go go kind of long, we need something more than just um, Harry Smith up front because it, kept, it was winning knock-ons on um, uh, yesterday, but without someone in in and around him, you know, it's a bit of a struggle. So unless you go, you know, you go a bit braver and sacrifice one of the midfielders for a, a Rose or Chukwuemeka. Or you put Hoskins much further forward and play and play like a, a left back. Um, it feels like that is setting us up to fail a little. Although, um, and I keep kept thinking of it when, when James saw, I keep forgetting to mention one of the things that really that really surprised me yesterday. I'm just quickly checking the stat. Um, in, a, in a sense of where we um where we were getting value, we, we did get, you know, a reasonable amount of throw-ins around the box and corners. We've got four corners and we probably had as many or probably half, half as many again, throw-ins around the box. And almost without exception, we didn't beat the front man. And that for me, if you're a side that's going to grind it out, and, and I thought they worked hard yesterday and we, we earned those set pieces. Now, if you think back to an Atkins side, we could have been crap, but if we'd have got that number of corners and throw-ins around the box, we'd have had that key. You know, if we'd have scored none, that keeper would have worked his socks off for one of their centre halves, man of the match. What felt really disappointing yesterday was that we did engineer a lot of those, but we just we just couldn't beat the front man. And then you know, if you know you're not beating the front man, we'll get your biggest man in front of him. Go short, do something else. That for me felt, oh, you know, as a manager, I should have been changing that. It's it's interesting though, isn't it, when we talk about styles? Because you talk about styles and long ball is almost kind of instantly dismissed, isn't it? But you can't tell me that we weren't entertaining to watch playing a long ball game in that Cheltenham semi-final and the Exeter final. The difference was it was a more pragmatic version of it in that Yes, it was long ball, but it was they were accurate, targeted long balls towards yeah. Vidane Oliver, uh, yeah. and they were good crosses in, into boxes. Now, we were thoroughly, you know, this was at the time when we were one of the first games back, weren't we, uh, during lockdown, and everyone had been watching the Premier League stuff. I remember watching a Man City game and just being thoroughly bored, actually, by just the amount of needless passing there was at the back. 
I'm not, I'm not saying that Manchester City don't play good football, but during that week, I was more entertained watching the Cobblers than I was Manchester City that week because, yes, it was direct, but it was a, a quick, purposeful version of it. The difference this year is that we don't have Vidane Oliver as that kind of you know, brilliant target man who is winning everything, but also having Morton up there alongside him, feeding off his, you know, his layoffs and that. And there's, we talk about long distance, you know, or, or who football, but there's actually different ways you can play that. And the way we played it towards the end of, in those two games was an entertaining version of long ball football. The difference yeah. is, doing that playing long ball football this year it's been more kind of you know hit and hope a hit and hope approach so yeah. i don't think it's necessarily let's just dismiss long ball as tactic that can't be entertaining but when you do it when you don't do it correctly it is the worst tactic to watch that's that's the problem with it yeah i think I, I quite appreciate you uh, comparing cobblers with man city didn't get half <laughs> we'll, we'll take that one but of course the thing is, Man City's style of play, I think, over the long term, will we'll do you better yes. simply because absolutely. absolutely tactics evolve and people work a, work a style of play out. So Keith Curl sort of caught tacticians and coaches off on the hop with his style of play, but eventually they're going to catch up with him and get lighter. I think they have to an extent now. But that sort of leads us on to the whole possession debate because, uh, you know, that's raging as well. Cobbler's possession is often down at 20%. I think it was down about 26%. Yesterday, um, Jake Sharp on Twitter, the BBC Radio Northampton guy, had a little bit of a snip. He said that basically you don't need to dominate possession to win a game of football. Now, yeah, I'll I'll go to you on that, Martin. Possession in football is, you know, it's a bit of a hot topic, especially with cobblers. What, what's your take on, you know, the role of possession in, you know, trying to drive us forward a little bit? Um, it isn't everything. Um, I think you can be effective with having. Uh, less possession but I think as as James says it was like I don't know what our possession stats would have been last year but I'd imagine we we probably had less than the opposition the difference was what we did with it when we had possession um, up against lesser quality players and perhaps with I think we all kind of wistfully um, think back to the Dane Oliver in a cobbler shirt and perhaps a more effective target man you could have less possession and do more damage. The problem is at the moment, it isn't just the possession thing. It's there probably isn't one silver silver bullet solution. We're having less of the ball, and when we've got the ball, in most games we're doing less with it. So I think it's it's part of part of the answer. But ultimately, we are up against much better players and, we're up against, and teams than we were up against last year. So we should probably expect to see that possession drop off. Where we need to make up for it is being better defensively. But, you know, we've lost three really good centre-halves and replaced them with guys who probably have all had average at best starts to the season. And effectiveness in getting forward out. You know, we haven't got the same kind of where our wing backs could roam forward at their heart's content. Our target man is more isolated. So the goals are harder to come by. So, yeah, I think it, it sort of reflects the fact that we've gone up, the fact we play a direct style and 
you know, we, we don't do as much with the ball, you know, as much good stuff. I, you know, I definitely think, um, I'm not sure what the answer will be. I would expect to see some changes in personnel in midfield um, come come the transfer window because we've got a lot of willing runners um, who all want to play in the same area. I just wonder if that's the area where someone different. I wouldn't mind seeing like Chris Lyons get a run, a run in the team. Just someone in the defence who will come short, who the defence can play the ball to, just yeah. to change the dynamic. You know. Going long once you you know if you if you isolate your your centre forward against one centre half if someone's running off him that suddenly becomes a very valid option if it's all that you've got because your midfielders aren't the sort who are going to come short for the ball or you know drift drift wide and give give you an option to play it short it's much much easier then as if you know if a team's playing four four two you know you've got one right on him and then one cut one covering the knock on it's you know. I think that maybe it's almost like we run out of options when you're a, you're a centre half. Yeah, some people have pointed to people teams like Stoke or Wickham, you know, that have, have got higher up playing a more direct style. But you've got to understand is that they had absolute specialists in in those teams that we just don't have. So we can try and emulate a Stoke and, and a Wickham, but without an Akin Fenwa, you know, or Rory Delap or whatever, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. So then you're sort of left with a team trying to sort of ugly on the eye style but without the personnel to do it particularly that is, would be my concern but I read out a couple of tweets from a couple of people that have been talking about possession in this this subject um, Ian Townsend tweeted I remember Colin Caldwood used to say possession is important because whilst you have the ball the other team can't score which I think is a is a fair point uh, and it's quite hard to score without possession either you have to touch the ball at some point um, Ian King Nagapago Cobbler says, anyone defending having 25% possession hasn't watched much football. Yes, you can win games like that, but you will lose far more. Not having the ball is tiring and getting tired leads to mistakes. Um, James, what's your take on the whole possession debate? Yeah, I mean, both those tweets are very, very valid. Um, and and certainly I, I, I do agree with the sentiment that, yeah, you can win odd games having that you know, amount of possession. But I think as, as, as Ian King said if you're looking at it over an entire season i think percentage wise you're not going to be uh winning more games than than the ones you lose so i think the i think what martin said is 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 very valid as well in that it's what you do with the possession that you do have and yeah. i think the the amount of blanks that we've drawn suggests that um we don't do much when we do have the ball so it's uh, to me we, we need to have more of the ball to be able to create more and to score more uh and at the moment we're not pressing very high up on teams we're we're tending to sit back let them have the ball and try and hit them on the counter um but at home it's not really working i think you know you can compare the away results and the home results and argue that perhaps away from home it is working but it's certainly not working at six fields at the moment for whatever reason um so uh, and yeah from, from a from a fan's perspective it's not great watching the opposition have the ball you want your team to be having the ball and and, and making things happen so from yeah. an entertainment perspective yeah it is completely frustrating at having only you know a quarter of the ball or whatever we're having and you may get the odd result like we did last 
you know, with, with the result against Fleetwood. Um, but we've lost more games than we've won this year, adapting that kind of tactic. So I don't think there's any coincidence in that. I think you make a really good point there, James, around the playing at home versus playing away. I definitely feel, if not more optimistic, less pessimistic when I'm tuning in to watch us play away. Where I think it feels like how we are is better is better set up. At six fields, even without fans there groaning, it feels like we're going to be lucky to get anything out of this in most games. Whereas away, it's like teams come at you more because they're at home and that seems to suit us a little better. And I do fear for as more fans are in, because it when it's grim at home, they're probably not, you know, they were quite good, I thought, yesterday. They sounded quite loud, the thousand there, you know, encouraging as, as Cobblers chased it. But when it's crap, I can imagine the fans will you know, will make the atmosphere sound even worse and that's hardly likely to lift the mood of the players. That's probably uh, quite a, a dangerous game for Keith Carter to an extent because, it, like James has said, it's all it's all okay when results are going okay, but if we have a terrible run of, run of results in December and, you know, Keith Carr comes under pressure, people will look and, you know, people will think, well, hang on a second, what's his style of play like? Is is he trying to sort of institute something that, you know, is palatable and we can look forward to? At least has he got a style of play which is decent? And then the answer for me would probably be no. So he's he's got less to fall back on if things go bad, which hopefully they won't do. Hopefully he does bring it together because I think, as we said before, he's, he's a likeable guy and no one's wishing him, you know, badly. Um, in terms of possession... For me, I think I remember remember we played Derby in the um, FA Cup and we went over to Derby's place and they just sort of passed us off the, the park towards, you know, to an extent in the end. We did quite well in the first game in the FA Cup. We went to a replay. But it just shows you the higher you go, you're going to have to have some control of the, the football. And for me, possession is the building block of football. So teams which are comfortable in possession tend to be more skillful and, you know, more capable of just, just edging up those leagues. You do get the odd wick or you do get the odd stoke, but... I think you can't beat the system forever. And I think that's what Keith Carl's trying to do. He's trying to sort of get around the system of, of being skillful on the ball with his own style. And I just think eventually it will come up short. But at the end of the day, a lot of fans I speak to and just say that we need to stay up. So maybe we are going to have to swallow it and just accept it. But, you know, contrasting that, like Martin said, it's a results game. So if results start tailing off, it's going to be, it's going to be a difficult one for him. Um, we're playing crew next week. Funnily enough, talking about possession teams, and they're going to be a, a difficult, you know, side. James, what do you reckon? Do you reckon it's going to be tough in the next couple of games without McWilliams and Sheehan was injured as well? I thought he was a big miss, wasn't he? Sheehan is is, is a massive loss. Uh, I felt like he was uh, the leader that we needed, uh, and also a very good footballer for for you know. I say this with all greatest respect because I'm a defender as well, <laughs> but a very good footballer for a defender at this level yeah. as well um, in terms of his distribution. So, and also his, his you know, his, his delivery from, from free kicks. Um, so yeah, he is a, he is a massive loss. I think, yeah, Sean didn't have a great game and obviously let himself down with the, the red card uh, in the Doncaster game, but the games before that he had been in very good form, I think. So yeah, uh, they're going to be two two big misses. Um, it, it, because Crew obviously have this 
I also find it interesting how teams have reputations, don't they? And Crew have always been this this team. Yeah. They have this reputation for developing young players and for 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 playing, uh, you know, football on the ground. Um, so, but I think last year did we do the double over them? We certainly think, beat them. Yeah, both. I think we did. Um, we so, you know, um, hopefully. Keith has the measure of of uh, is, is Artel still the manager there? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully Keith has the measure of him, and you you will you, you will kind of see games where where Keith's tactics do do pay off, obviously. So hopefully uh, this is this is one of them. Um, and I think certainly watching games over the last few years down at our level, that there's been a lot more teams trying to play out from the back, like Man City, kind of you know did in in the Premier League. I remember Crew were crew in Plymouth last year particularly tried that kind of pass out from the back and we put pressure really high up and forced them into mistakes and that's how we won the game whereas most of the games this year we've been sitting back and letting teams have possession so it's going to be interesting to see whether he does switch it up and reverts back to that maybe higher pressing up the pit so he might want to get Hoskins and Holmes higher up because they're going to be the players who are harrying their defences as well. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see whether he does vary it again. Um, you know, we've alluded to the fact that Keith likes to nullify the opposition. So yeah. if they're going to be adopting that approach, I wouldn't be surprised to see us adopting a different approach as well to try and force them into mistakes at the back. So I've got hopes it might be more of an entertaining game than than the Doncaster one will, because hopefully we'll be a bit more on the front foot against them. Yeah. I, I think that reputation thing is quite interesting, actually. I've, I'm getting a bit sort of tired of, you know, I listen retrospectively to a couple of the commentaries and stuff of our games, and every time the away team will first comment on the style of play we play, the secondary state of the pitch, and it's getting that's getting a little bit tiring. So when you talk about reputations, I'm a bit, you know, concerned that our, our, that sort of reputation is going to stick with us for a while. I don't think we're ever going to get it, though, because mm. do, do you remember the 2015-16 season? I remember Mark Lawrence, we featured in one of those um, where Mark Lawrenceson predicts the scores. The first thing he said was Northampton are a very direct team. I was like, what? You haven't watched us this season. This is some of the best football I've seen at a kind of League, league 2 level. And yeah. again, it's because we have that reputation probably started by, you know, under the Atkins years. And we, we tend to have most of our success under direct football. Um, you know, certainly from from me as a as as kind of you know as a Cobblers fans, the promotions we've had, two thousand. I was a little bit young, so I can't quite remember the style of football for that one. But certainly two thousand and six was based on a solid defence and 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 the odd bit of kind of genius from the likes of Martin Smith and, and Ian Jess and Ian Taylor and that. Uh, and then it, apart from twenty fifteen sixteen, it's been mostly kind of direct football that we've had our greatest success under um so i I do think we we do have that reputation as a long ball club even when we're not and it's interesting (laughs) that you know uh because like i say that 2015-16 season was literally the best football i've seen from from a team from a league two team um, I'd had um, I'd had Stuart Gray's time. I thought he had a really good side. Um, yes, yeah, Stuart, yeah, Stuart Gray's Stuart Gray's side was probably the best cobbler side I've seen. 
in that that team that kind of finished was it ninth in League One. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Clubs have reputations, don't they? Regardless of the different cycles they go through, and we we are viewed as a as a long ball club and crew are viewed as a, as a football club. Uh, yeah, but I guess you can start to chip away at that. You just need a sustained period of half-decent football, which we live in hope for. Um, right, let's finish on a positive note. What would you like to see from... Let's avoid the Pizza Cup game, because that's just a bit of a joke for me. But let's move on. You know, let's look forward to the next league game against Crew. What would you like the Cobblers to, you know, what way would you like them to play and what can we look forward to a bit more positively? Um, <clears throat> I think well, you can't expect a, a radical change. I mean, I'd, for all the, um, the, the Pizza Cup, it's not not important. There's, for me, there's there's players in in and around the squad. They're a bit like the Oxford City game. There's places to be had in that side, and they all, you know, when he rotates it round, people will be putting their hands up saying, well, "I can do a better job." You know, that's that's that that for me is the importance of Tuesday, regardless of the, the result. But I'd say it, we should just do what we've done what we've done when we've played away. Um, we should we should be, you know, directors. That's our, you know, our identity for better for better for worse. I'd like to see two up, two up top because, or two rather than one, sort of as, as in behind. Um, because I think we can be we can be effective, um, and I think I've much more faith in us in us doing that away from home. But ultimately, we've got to have. We've got to have a little more to our um, in our in our in our locker than simply panicked long hoofs, rather than you know considered right. I will I'll go long because I can see an opportunity forward, and that means I've chosen that because I have had other options. I think where where I've worried I've worried and I do worry about us. If the midfield aren't giving me options as, as a centre half or as a fullback, I've only really got one place to go, and then I'm going long when it's not the ideal time to do it. But I think you know, if the effort was there yesterday, just the you know, it was unlucky with a couple of bits um, and mistakes. But um, I think we've generally been on an upward curve the last um, last month or so. Um, I'd like to see that continue. You know, we've been very effective away from home. I think. Um, continue that if we uh, you know get get a point or, or three points there it's again getting up towards that kind of 50 51 points that we need and whatever anyone says and people do have very short memories of the um of the football that they've they booed when we're losing if we stay up on 51 52 points that's a massive achievement and yeah of course there's then discussions to have in the off season about direction we go and what we look to do to consolidate because it probably isn't do the same thing again. But yeah. I think we do need to, um, you know, we need to temper our um, our ambitions. I think, right, is it a game we can win? Now, I think with the sort of football we play, that's the sort of team we ought to be, we want to be playing against because we should be physical and try and bully them a little. Yeah, that's that's a good summary, mind. We can trust you to be be a bit more positive so let's look forward to that for the you know for the, the weeks ahead and hopefully we can turn things around it's one of those old cliches but we've got a game thick and fast and you've got plenty of opportunities to turn things around in the next month or so well, so hopefully it'll be happy new year. less time doesn't it i think when games come thick and fast when you're in bad in in rubbish form you know you're a bad game you've only got two or three days to mither on it 
uh, and that can be a good thing. Yeah, exactly. We'll see how we get on. But cheers, guys, for joining us again. And we'll be back next week um, after the crew game. But thanks a lot and have a good afternoon. Cheers, both. Cheers, guys. See you soon. See you later. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.